0: So we began this retreat one week ago. We had the opening night That's a memory. Time, I find, is a funny thing. I mean, in some sense, it feels like we've been together for eons. Experience can be quite compressed when one's really attentive and notices the myriad states worlds that we find ourselves born into then they dissolve on us some sense is a short time now there's the friday night march 11th 2011, only a day and a half left, and whatever that perception brings up, desperation to have a big breakthrough, (laughs) counting the minutes. In the process of uh, seeing everyone and being together uh, for this time, as I've mentioned before, I, I, I feel as if uh, though this is challenging work, it's uh, very important, auspicious, generating great blessings. Today in the uh, question questions, there was uh, brought up uh, the uh, idea of love, what is that? That was actually a question that uh, was quite important in my wanting to ordain as a monk. Because when I I went and ordained when I was uh, 24, and uh, I was a student at Oxford at the time, I experienced uh, quite a few times falling in love and then, uh, you know, that incredible feeling of excitement, just being so enamored and with the best of intentions, you know, sincere, I'll love you forever and ever, never, never, until you disagree with me, or
1: <laughs>
0: and I feel like wringing your neck. What is that? I I was I had seen in my own life and in many others that I'd met this. People who really, sincerely, you know, fallen in love, care for each other deeply, make deep commitments. And again and again and again, we hurt each other. You know, one minute professing love for eternity, the next minute, you know, feeling like shaking each other. And I saw that in myself. I saw that. I, was, I had been in a relationship where I felt betrayed and, and then saw this anger come up. And I thought, whoa. What is that? What I do feel grateful about is you know, there's always things we can say. Well, she said this and she said that and he said this and this. I could do that. I'm pretty good at it. It's Tanisha will tell you, winning
1: arguments.
0: (laughs) But, you know, thank goodness I, I, I realized that, you know, I couldn't blame it all out there. Because is that what love does when it doesn't get its way? It just hurts people? Is that love? So I, I was very grateful I had a sense that it's uh, something needs to be looked at in here, in my heart. What I was calling uh, love wasn't, uh, wasn't really pure, it was mixed. I didn't even really know, you know, what is that? How do really, how do we really? I mean, I thought, you know that's the way to live happily ever after, fall in love, and you live happily ever after and And through my uh, years of practice, you know I'm beginning to you know the the You know, to sense that, that you know, real love should, should care for welfare, the welfare of the other. Is this for my welfare? Is this for your welfare? Does this lead to true peace? So oftentimes what I you know, was, was calling love was, was so mixed with possession, mixed with attachment, mixed with holding and claiming, and the very holding actually can choke off what it is we're caring for. For some it's a, a bit of a trite uh, Uh, Ditty, but Blake's poem on on eternity, you know, sums it up. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity. Sunrise. This, this binding, this, this claiming, possessing, with the best of intentions, has a choking effect. And through, through um, I used to think, you know, uh, loving kindness was just doing things to make people happy, which is important. That's an important thing to be able to make people happy. But, but is, you know, what is really for with the welfare, you know, when, when, when one is really caring for another? And sometimes what we say and do is not necessarily what someone else wants to hear, but it could be for their welfare. We've been bowing to Kuan Yin in the morning, this bodhisattva of uh, great compassion who listens at ease to the sounds of the world, the archetype of the wise and compassionate one. And oftentimes in the akana, iconography of of Kuan Yin. She's depicted with a thousand hands and a thousand eyes. And yes, some of the hands hold a a whisk. One hand holds a whisk that can bless gently. Or some of the hands hold a, a flower for purity. Or a mirror for reflecting one of her hands holds a an arrow for touching the heart penetrating the heart but some of her hands hold more fierce objects one of her hands holds a sword can compassion ever be like a sword Can we ever sometimes be gripped to something thinking it's for our welfare when really it's harming us and harming someone else? Can a sword cut through? Can that be compassionate? One of her hands holds a, uh, an axe. She also has the mudra of respect in this image. I find that really, really really interesting. I I realize my notion of love was on one channel, one one thing. It's got to be like this. And, And if there was kind of suffering, I would sort of blame it on myself to try to smooth things over. I did not like conflict, couldn't bear it, didn't like it. But it was uh, such a revelation when uh, going to Thailand and uh, meeting Ajahn Chah and the other uh, monks there to, to get the feeling for the, the deep compassion in facing things that are difficult. It's not always just nice and little and gentle, sweet, not always just too quickly to make it all feel better. You know, that can, compassion, compassion, can be, can say no, can be compassionate. That's not acceptable. No. That can be compassionate. But if that's the only channel we know, we get frozen in that. we think we have to just only give, we get frozen. We can offer, we can gather. What then allows us to to respond? We just come from some idea of got to be this way, got to be that way. We get so frozen and then we think they've got to be that way. If you love me, you have to be that way. You agree with me and smile and laugh at my jokes? You're laughing at my jokes? (laughs) She never laughs at my jokes.
1: <laughs>
0: it's really hard. <laughs> you now we start b- fixing how I've got to be, how they've got to be. We get all tangled, <clears throat> tangled up. But balance, what is balance? What's appropriate comes from tuning and listening into the sounds of the world. Grounding in actually how it is. Paying attention to the moment, steadying ourselves as we listen into the resonance of the body. And as we make contact, we'll notice that that resonance is shifting and changing that the form is actually a vibration an expansion and a contraction happening within within an awareness so I'm starting to get the feeling that real love the the ability to really bless to really respond to 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 what is really for the welfare of everyone concerned. It comes out of attention, the quality of our attention. And when our attention is, is unconsciously or deludedly all mixed up, when the jitta, the, the heart, that which knows and resonates, is all in colored, trapped, by greed, hatred, and delusion, then, uh, then, uh, then what we touch, then that, that, that delusion affects, can harm. It's not necessarily really for the welfare of ourselves and others. A lot of times, we're you know when we, when we suffer, we're um, some karmic habit, some tendency, some circumstance, you know c- comes up, and, and some painful feeling, some mood, and it just seems overwhelming, and we get we get swept swept away into it. And uh, we're uh, contemplating that you know does the circumstance demand that we suffer? Or is it possible looking at the quality of our attention, of our relationship with what is that can determine whether that moment is is uh, just being drugged to a hellish state or whether that moment can turn into an opportunity for, for patience, for learning about the Dharma, for accessing true nobility of heart. The The, the Buddha gave a, a very... Uh, important simile about this, about uh, karma. Um, He said if karma really was just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he didn't use that expression, but he said if, if the way that you make karma, you have to experience a result, that's like eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If I shout at someone, someone has to shout back at me. If I hit someone, someone has to hit me. If I kick a dog, then I've got to get kicked back. If it literally is that literal, the Buddha said, there is no escape. Because we've just done too many countless actions that would have to all keep. If it's just that way, he said, there's no escape. But, he said, if the way that we make karma to be felt, there has to be a result like that. So if we do something with a greed or hatred or delusion that has some painful result, then we have to have some sort of pain. But he said, why is it that two people who do the same sort of trifling, unskillful thing, one of them ends up in a really difficult state and someone else experiences the result for a moment and then it's gone? You know, we say something that we maybe wasn't so skillful. One person it ends up, you know, sending them into a terrible state. Someone else sees it, recognizes it. Oh, let's go. What's that? The Buddha said it's uh, the simile he gave is if you take a lump of salt and you put it in a small amount of water and you try to drink it. He says, is that water fit to drink? He says, it's so salty, it's not fit to drink. It's not palatable. It's in a small quantity of water. But if you take that very same amount of salt, that lump of salt, and you put it in a fresh flowing river, the Buddha said, then is the the water spoiled? Is it fit to drink? You could hardly even you wouldn't even taste the salt. It's been diluted. The kind of work that we're doing, the Buddha said, when we, when we, don't develop the body, don't develop the mind, don't develop a virtue abiding contracted states, restricted states, cramped states, then the karma and the karmic results that we create is more toxic. But when one develops body, what's developing body? Our capacity to be embodied. We're developing the capacity. That's a wider field to be with pleasure and pain. To be present. To be connected. And then to do that, to to stay with body, then one starts to notice awareness. So already the awareness, spacious, we realize the body is held within awareness. Developing body, developing virtue. We haven't talked a lot about that uh, uh, yet, but as we're heading back to to daily life, how is developing virtue relate to a small cup or putting the salt crystals into a wide flowing pure stream, pure body of water, when we're committed to not harming On some level, every living being, if I'm committed to that, every living being on some level can breathe more easily. I'm making a gift that frees beings from fear of oppression. From fear and oppression. When I commit myself to trustworthiness, not taking what doesn't belong to me, when I commit myself to not exploiting for my pleasure, not exploiting my sexuality or someone else's sexuality, you know, to, just for me, what I want to feel. Being careful about my impact on others. That's just a little, that's a determination in my own heart, but notice, the Buddha said it's a great gift. It goes, whaaaa! So on some level, I'm, I'm acknowledging my web connectedness with other living beings and I'm offering something that frees beings from fear and oppression. Exploitation. Similarly with when we commit ourselves to training our speech, that restraint means we're learning how to bear. Some impulses come up that are natural. Like someone mentioned in a question, the Buddha said that there's, if there were two energies as powerful as sexual attraction... There were two energies as powerful as that. He would say, awakening would be impossible.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a big deal. Attraction. Repulsion. Attraction. When we're practicing restraint, we're not calling this, these energies or nature evil. But when we, you know, if it feels good, it must be good. Hmm. Can really, we feel attracted, feel good. Let's, you know, it feels good and they feel good. And, but then what about the implications? Do we have another committed relationship? Do they have a committed relationship? And the pain. So when one cultivates restraint, attraction might come up. We're not judging it, but we're bearing with it and just sensing, okay, is this all right or is this gonna harm? So so to be able to have that capacity for restraint links you is an offering, a tremendous offering. All the precepts, all the virtuous precepts and the ones of committing ourselves to protect our consciousness, not just seeking an, some sort of nibbana of feeling good uh, through intoxication or something that, that where we lose clarity. We end up doing things that uh, are not mindful, that can be reckless. developing body, developing virtue. And, and the Buddha also called about developing wisdom. Wisdom. You know, beginning able to, you know, when, we're, when we see things change, that allows toxicity to be dissolved more. And it's just me, we feel locked into it. Oh gosh, I'm a hopeless case, I'm a hopeless case. Gee, I can't. Seven days, yeah, I should have figured. Nothing works for me. Never does. Oh, God. Maybe I am a Hindu. <laughs> no, it's, it's no joke, there's past, I think there might be a past life there. So then you think of the next one, oh, but it probably won't work either. But then, you know, if with some discernment, oh, there's a mood, oh, yet another opinion, you know. That discernment can allow what would, if we didn't do that, to sweep us away. That karmic result can be dissolved. Dwelling large-hearted, what we've been looking at today is one of the most powerful ways. Change, seeing change dissolves karmic tendencies. But the other really powerful way is loving kindness, but not the loving kindness of, oh, just the ones that I really like. uh, We make a little loving kindness list at the beginning and we get to peer at each other through glass panes no one else can see and we just check the ones that we want to do it for. (laughs) Mm, I don't know about that. I'll rub that one out. No, but you know, the Buddha taught loving kindness. Yes, remember the ones that touch your heart. So if I remember, you know, if we remember our beloved dog Jack, it's so easy. Just touches your heart, you know. It's easy to love Jack. I remember my teachers, you know, my mom, or now that my dad is in, in quite a weak state, and and he was uh, worried because my shoe had a hole in it, and he said he's ninety-four and he's on the edge of going out, and he just says, "I, I want you to get a pair of shoes. It could be snow up there, and you can get your feet wet." I mean, <laughs> wow. You know, he's worried about me, you know, so I can bring that feeling up. But then the Buddha said, well, also we we practice well-wishing for even those we don't know. Practice. Even those we have trouble with. Not Not pretending to like, but to think, what's for, may you be well. May your unskillful things fall away you find true peace. That when one develops, this is called large-heartedness, you know, it takes one to a wide place. Our true natures is wide, boundless. Delusion has contracted us around this body, these feelings, these karmic tendencies, And practice keeps opening us up, opening us up. Tanisha and I like reflecting on a, on a quote from Master Wah, which gives us a feeling of uh, where we're heading. If we can be open to it, it goes like this. All living beings are my family. The universe is my body. Empty space is my university. My nature is empty and formless. Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity are my function. You might say, whoa, who is that? That's our true nature. Okay, we don't know it yet. All living beings are my family. Actually, this one heart, the whole universe is rising in it. The universe is my body. Empty space is my university. Wherever we are, whatever circumstance is really where we learn. Our nature is empty and formless. And yet within that nature is day one, and day two, and day three, and evening, a week. Our nature is like this, but it keeps dissolving. Our nature is empty and formless. Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity are my function. the more we let things flow, listening to what's appropriate, things manifest and then dissolve. And if there's the natural resonances for the heart when it's not polluted, not confused, is is to welcome, to be well with things that come and go. Even if we don't like them, we can be kind. And that kindness, as we looked with my story with Arthur this morning, even when you're kind to a, he was remembering when he, he, he was in for murder, he, he found his wife with another man, so he killed a guy, broke his neck in a rage. When, when, I, when he said, I could break his neck again, when he didn't think he had any compassion, but when he was even kind to that feeling, that conviction that I'm just a hard man. I'm going to hate for eternity. And he just was for a moment allowing that it melted. For a moment there was quite a revelation. A moment he took what was in a a lump of salt in a small cup of water and and he, he connected it to a larger field. One, he was with Sangha. He was with spiritual friends. And Until he was practicing opening the heart, giving more space, allowing. When the heart is more open; it can, it can resonate. But sometimes we can be so afraid. We we think, oh dear. We can be afraid of emptiness because you know we. What if I want? To, what if I don't know what to say? I mean, what if? What if I? I mean, you know, some people really go off. What if I lose my personality? I mean, that used to be growing up, used to be one of the biggest cuts somebody could say, but well, they don't have much personality.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: they, they, they're a little... They're all right for a wallflower, I guess. You know, I think, oh God, I've got to be somebody. I don't have my personality. Well, what if I end up as an enlightened doorstop? <laughs> oh yeah, he's been like that for a few years. <laughs> Very peaceful. Yeah, it was on about day four. Smooth. I mean, he's fine. He moves every once in a while. Yeah, don't worry. I'm, I promise you he's peaceful. He's, he's not in any pain.
1: <laughs>
0: he's not in any pain. Don't worry. That's where we're heading. Isn't it fun? <laughs> and you think, oh my God. And, uh, and so, and uh, Ajahn Chah said that we, you know, he gave a funny image about it. He says, you know, when we're practicing, we, we should learn to be like a bell. And if nothing's happening, just be empty. Be still. And you think, huh, what? So, you know, the image he gave is, uh, but, you know, emptiness. We might need, might need something because, God, I have some sutras. If I run out of steam, I can read sutras. Uh, You know, the temperature in this place. You just never know where it's heading. You that hip's going out on me. I just, and that's wasted space. It's wasted space. <laughs> it's wasted space now. I think I could make some changes here. And then, you okay, so now I'm ready. I've got everything that I need. And then an, an experience comes and you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so Kitty Sorrow, what, what do you think about love?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and I, I would like to underline that. Are you hearing me? And uh, I mean, but you know, we're so afraid of emptiness. You know, we're so afraid of what's going to happen. But uh, one of the things I just Ajahn Chah and Kuan Yin, you know, the one who listens, all her hands and eyes, she listens and trusts. Trusting in the refuge. why it's called refuge. Trusting. That the space is not dead space. It's living. It's alive and it can resonate. You know, so when something touches us. And when there's suffering, we can resonate with it be there with it. Don't have to quickly skip over it. When there's beauty, we can resonate with it. When we know the depth of emptiness, even whether it's beautiful or difficult, we know at the deep depth of that awareness there's stillness. That made Ajahn Chah so Oh, When I was uh, doing all the hard practices, wanting to get enlightened, doing all this stuff, thinking the Westerners were talking too much, so I wanted to go off to the monastery when no people were speaking English. And there was a, a monk, a Thai monk, that was famous for being the kind of drill sergeant of drill sergeants for, for monasteries. He was a tough taskmaster, and I thought, I can get some real work done there. And while I was there, uh, you know, we... Um, Dyed our own robes from cutting jackfruit wood and then boiled it up and then dyed the the robes this lovely ochre color and had this wonderful smell. So you know we were dyeing our robes in the dyeing shed. And uh, and I was uh, rolling up a mat and under the mat there was this uh, big centipede and I didn't see it. And it's considered the most painful sting in the forest. They're, they're like these little locomotives. You hear them coming. They, they kind of... But, and they have these pincers. So I, I, was, I lifted up the mat, and then I didn't realize under it there was this... And it was hanging down off my finger. And then the other Thai monks, they went wild when they saw it. They went, the cop, the cop! And he took my hand and flung it away. And I didn't, you know, but they knew that it was this terrible sting and I didn't really know. But then this fire oh, started going up my arm Then they took me to the meditation hall and started getting all these remedies and medicines and the nuns were mumbling mantras and people were spitting on my hand. And they were. And meanwhile this, this, this terrible pain is going up and I'm kind of sensitive to things. And I <laughs> am just thought, what's going to happen when this thing gets to my heart? You know, anyway, so and it's just so painful. All, I could just sit up all night moaning in the in meditation hall because I, it just was, ter- it was really, 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 really painful. And uh, you know, just just trying to bear with it. And I didn't, I, I didn't die, but my uh, hand stayed swelled up for three weeks, and I started urinating blood. And but, but before the when my hand was still swollen, and before I started urinating the blood, Ajahn Chah came to visit. And, um, the other Thai monks, you know, they, they all went to Ajahn The Farang, that's what they call mm-hmm. the Western, the Farang got bit by the cop.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they all went to Ajahn Cha. And so, uh, you know, Ajahn Chah came up to me, and you know, he could have said, uh, you know, try to change the subject or, oh, I don't, I'm so sorry, that'll never happen again. You know, he held my hand and smiled with this lovely smile and said, did it hurt? <laughs> Just right there with it, wanted me to be, I'm okay to be right with it. Not to have to change the subject or or get off that. We're going to do something about these centipedes. (laughs) That does it. Bring in the sprayers. (laughs) He didn't do that. Did it hurt? And then, you know, I did get sicker and sicker, started urinating blood, ended up in a hospital, and uh, he came to visit me in the hospital. And I was in this monk's ward, and it was a talk about a a hell realm. (laughs) I mean... Uh, In the northeast of Thailand, the guy on my right dies the first night through a blood, I think, of cholera. Guy across the aisle, his little brother was sleeping on the floor. He was a a, a, a monk, I guess. His brother's on the floor, and they were thinking of cutting his leg off because he had a sore that wouldn't heal. Guy on my left was supposed to have a kidney operation. He was terrified, and. uh, In the middle of the night I heard uh, this screaming and I woke up and it was me because I had this incredible pain that the kidneys just went And I had refused pain medicine before that because I thought, I'm a monk, (laughs) feeling. And uh, you know, the Buddha did allow medicines, but I'm a forest monk, I'll have you know. (laughs) And and I just, you know, give me the medicine. (laughs) And and then and the thing that helped me is in in the terror of it all at night times out on out in the villages you could hear they had these uh, loudspeakers and there was a, a, a it sounded like novices chanting, it so boko wa Allahang sama sama vija jalana the qualities of the triple jewel and it just helped me sort of hang in there
2: and, and then the in the morning.
0: Ajahn Chah comes to visit, and he's he's uh, like this kind of sun coming in through the. He's a bit round, and you know he came in, and I was the only one he knew in the ward. But he went to every one, and just was right there with them in their suffering. Right with them, kindness that was just with it. Then he got to, when he got to me. And then uh, he knew me because he had ordained me. And Kitty uh, Silo. And um, he asked me, How am I doing? And I uh, said, Ajahn Chah, uh, I want to get out of here. This is a nightmare. <laughs> and he said, I'll send the police after you. And it was. I started laughing, and it was funny. And I said, but what do you do about pain? All this pain? He said, Tang lu He says, you, you, you learn how to just know it. He says, Pong chui chui. He said, you know, when I die, he said to himself, I'm going to be at ease with it. He bestowed courage that that we can be with stuff just one moment at a time allow our kindness to be with stuff and it shifts it comes and goes And he taught, letting go. When the experience is there and it changes, let it go. Then be ready for the next moment. The next moment. He practiced emptying. Emptying. It's It's here and it's gone. It's here and it's gone. It's here and it's gone. And in that emptiness, that emptiness is filled with potentiality. That spaciousness, is field, it can then resonate. It can be kind, it can be fierce, it can be funny, it can be silent. And so, you know, to me, I, I say, wow, that's love. It's our nature, our nature, as it gets purified, is loving. But it can be equanimous. Sometimes that's the most loving thing to do. Things are just crazy, and we're working things right from the center. We're, we're Namo Kwan Chimpusah. May I listen at ease to the sounds of the world? We're going to that peaceful core. And, and it's just like going to the perfection at the bottom of It might look like nothing's happening, but when we listen, something happens. The world might think nothing's happening, but we're going to the root of the matter. A few weeks after that, I got out of the hospital, but then I kept getting sicker. I had, as I said, I'd had diarrhea for six months, I was urinating blood, and then I started getting a fever, tense f- fever. Um, right before the fever, uh, I then got really depressed. And I just uh, I felt so depressed. Because, uh, you know, I was used to winning and doing things well. And, and now all I could see was my lust. I was just a kind of uh, lust machine, you know. And uh, all I could think about was I was uh, thinking about the next meal. Then I would eat. And the next thing I know, my bowl would be empty. And I'd feel like a beached whale. And I'd hate myself for the next, because uh, we ate once a day. And you know, and I had—I uh, felt so fat, but actually, I had lost a huge amount of weight. I probably was anorexic. I felt fat. My belly was swollen because I was just—I was sick. But anyway, my mind just was—it was terrible, and I—and I really felt discouraged. I looked up the line, bald heads, down the line a more bald heads. <laughs> you know, for someone who wanted to be a champion, who wanted to be this, who wanted to be, learn about true love, so that, you know, all I could see was my, you know, sexual fantasies or my uh, self-hatred. Or, so I really felt like I would uh, never laugh again. It felt that dark. So I, I, I realized, um, uh, I think I better go talk to Ajahn Chah So uh, I got the abbot of the monastery at that time, uh, Babakara, who could speak Laotian really well. He had uh, been a helicopter pilot in Vietnam and uh, after the war had ordained. So he took me over, and while everybody else went to chanting, we went to Ajahn Chah's hut. And um, Pabakro told Ajahn Chah, yeah, Kitty Sarles would like to talk to you. And I needed Pabakro because my tie was quite basic. And Ajahn Chah said, Binyang. You know, like he would grunt, kind of like, well, what is it? And I would say, well, I'm having a hard time. I feel like I'll never laugh again. And, um, and he said, Okay.
2: You know, he didn't say, oh,
0: yes, you will. Don't worry. I'm sure you'll laugh again. You know, he didn't do that. He just said, mm-hmm. okay. And then he asked me about my past, and I talked to him about my wrestling and this and that. And um, and then he just uh, said, well, you remind me of a chipmunk or a squirrel. And um, so Babacro's translating. He says, he says, you remind him of a, chipmunk. I said, could you check that tree? <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, but a baby chipmunk. So, uh, And it sees its mother climbing a tree and jumping. I guess it's really probably a squirrel. He said chipmunk at the time, but these things these could climb and leap. So the mother climbed up, leaped, and jumped from branch to branch, and the baby thought, I can not do that. So it went up, and then it, it went, dog, it, it, it fell down, and then uh, started crying, so Ajahn Chah, his eyes kind of go in circles, and it starts crying, and Pabakro's whispering to me, and then the mother said, son, you need to go to school. And so anyway, <laughs> Ajahn Chah has this chipmunk, or whatever it was, Going to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Meanwhile, he keeps dog and crying. Son, you need to go to school. He, I mean, and somewhere in university, we might. We, I started rolling on the floor in hysterical laughter. I was just dying. Meanwhile, he he's still talking. He had this he had this thing getting a Ph.D. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm killing myself, I'm just hysterical. And then I, I finally get up, and he, you know he's still talking and it's got this getting its PhD. And then it got the PhD. And then he looked right at me and said, in one day, that chipmunk could do everything its mother could do. It could go. this jump, jump, jump." He just looked at me like that. And this kind of bliss, you know, bliss. Through the body, through the heart. Because we're going to fail so many times, up and down and up and down, and we we'll just begin again and begin again and begin again. And I just, our nature, it's, it's our nature. Within us, we have this nature. So I was right. Just still experiencing the bliss when he kind of went on. I used to not tell the second story, but has finally got me to resurrect the second story. He then went on to say, And you remind me of a donkey.
1: <laughs>
0: so this is part of my donkey rehabilitation therapy. He says, you, But uh, not just an ordinary donkey, uh, this donkey is quite clever. And it heard the music in the forest, the cicadas, and, and it thought, I'd like to make music. And because it was a clever donkey, it's going to do some investigation. So it started studying them and saw what their diet was. And it saw that they were eating dew drops. So this donkey, being diligent, started licking hundreds and thousands <laughs> of dew drops. And then it knew. It was ready to make music, and it opened its mouth, and and he didn't say anything, but I knew what happened. <laughs> and he stopped, and I, for a long time, thought, well, what's that donkey got to do with anything? <laughs> Maybe Ajahn Chah's getting a bit old. <laughs> uh, that chipmunk story's for me. But you know, little by little by little. And it relates to Tanisha's lovely talk last night. You know, if we try to just jump up and out, teachers are important. We learn teachings, we practice, that's all really good. But it's not just jumping out. We work with this being. Can we honor this being? These feelings. This conditioning. And uh, you know, I had a huge dose, and still work with it, of this self-aversion, and just not wanting to be me, wanting to be something else. We learn to find our sound. And it gets, and it gets purified, it gets transformed by these moments of listening, welcoming, beginning again, kindly making effort, beginning again. So with the wonderful blessing of, uh, of a good teacher, of a kind being, who, who exemplified the refuge, then, you know, he's brought to life this, this, this wonderful teaching that we're all being blessed by and that we all have the chance to practice. So really, I encourage everyone, stay with it. And just trust. The Buddha said our destiny is to wake up. Trust it in its own time. sharing the blessings of this day with our family of all living beings above, below, all around, near and far, seen and unseen, good and bad. May all beings be at ease and wake up to the radiant, peaceful heart. Oh,